Notice with me Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You can have peace of mind in spite of the difficulties you face or the disappointments that you've experienced. Seven times the New Testament refers to our Heavenly Father as the God of peace because he does not work in us by creating stress and anxiety. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 33 says, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So if you're confused today, that didn't come from God. But he can clear up your confusion and give you peace. Amen? Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 refers to Jesus as the prince of peace. And as we allow him to rule in our lives, have a greater say-so in how we order our affairs, peace abounds. Amen? In fact, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14 says... He is our peace. You really can't have Jesus and not have peace. Where he is, there is peace. Amen. And really peace is not the absence of problems. It's the presence of God. Now the Hebrew word for peace in this verse in Isaiah is shalom, of course. And shalom means wellness, wholeness completeness. Shalom means that nothing is missing and nothing is broken. Shalom means that everything is as it should be in your life. Hallelujah. But God cannot only bring divine order uh, and restoration to your life. He can settle and soothe your soul. Not only can he calm the raging storm around you, he can quiet the furious storm within you. Often it's not so much what happens to a man that makes him or breaks him, but what happens within the man that makes him or breaks him. Hallelujah. And the expression in Isaiah 26, verse 3, perfect peace, perfect peace. It's actually in, in the Hebrew language, shalom, shalom. The word is mentioned twice, peace, peace, because it means double peace, double peace. Now, the gospel itself is a message of peace. Acts 10.36 calls it the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Because Christ ended the hostility between heaven and earth. Glory to God. And in Romans chapter 5 verse 1 it says, Since we have been justified, or in other words, since we have been made righteous, or since we have been put into right standing with the Father... By faith, we have peace with God. 
Look at the person next to you and say, we have peace with God. So Jesus reconciled us and he brought us as believers into a harmonious relationship with the Father. So we have peace with God, but that's not all. We can also experience not just peace with God, but the peace of God. The book of Philippians chapter 4 verse 7 describes this peace as a peace that passes or transcends all understanding. A peace that guards your heart and quiets your soul. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 22, we read that the fruit of the Spirit is not only love but peace. Peace. In fact, the Bible talks about being filled with peace in Romans 15 and verse 13. So it's not enough to have peace with God. That's good. But God wants his peace to permeate, to soak into, to spread to every area of our being and our lives. He's a God of peace. And he wants you and I to be children of peace who walk in great peace. It's so interesting that almost every epistle in the New Testament says grace and peace to you. Praise the Lord. Amen. But Isaiah 26 verse 3 says that the key to having perfect peace is to keep our minds stayed on the Lord. I said the key to having perfect peace, in other words, to have a peace that overflows, a peace that keeps you, is to keep your mind stayed on him. And this is the power of focus in your life. This exemplifies the power of focus. Whatever your thoughts are centered on, takes a larger place in your life. I said, whatever your thoughts are centered on, focused on, aiming at, takes a larger place in your life. Now, in Luke chapter 1, verse 46, Mary said these words, My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. Now, in the Bible, the word soul often refers to your mind. and also includes your will and your emotions. Now, the word magnify means to enlarge, to make bigger. Now, you cannot make God any bigger than he is. He fills the heavens. You can't make God any bigger, but your perception of who God is can be increased. Hallelujah. Now, in this world, there are two kinds of magnification, or at least two. First of all, we have microscopes, and then we have telescopes. Microscopes take something that is is incredibly small and makes it look bigger than it is. But a telescope makes something that is incredibly enormous but very far away look closer. When we magnify the Lord, 
We're looking closer at him. We're drawing nearer to him. And when you get nearer to him, he gets bigger and bigger in your thinking and in your heart. Hallelujah. Now, your soul, your soul, and I specifically mean your mind, your soul is a magnifier. Hmm? What you ponder on becomes more prominent in your eyes. What you absorb in your thoughts, looms large in your life. Now, see, the problem is many people, of course, what a pity they're not here this morning, but many people, they magnify the wrong thing. They magnify the wrong thing. They focus on the negatives and ignore and forget the positives. It's human nature to maximize the one thing that didn't go so well and then to minimize the many things that did go well. You know, there's one little mess up, there's one little mistake, and that's all you can think about all day long. And you forget the many things that were great. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Please sit down. Don't run around the building while I'm preaching. Hallelujah. Amen. But Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 tells us what we should dwell on, what we should meditate on, what we should think about. Here it is, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, in other words, if there's anything you can praise God about, think about these things. So that means... As Christians, we must examine our thoughts. We need to think about what we think about. See, a lot of Christians think that it doesn't matter what they think. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. I said nothing can be further from the truth. They think, well, as long as I don't do something, it's okay if I think about it. No, that's not correct. That You're sadly mistaken. Amen. <laughs> So if it doesn't pass the Philippians 4.8 test, don't let it in. If it doesn't pass the test, like he says, whatever is true. Okay, right away. There's a lot of things that people think about. That's not, that's not true. It's not true at all, right? It's not honorable, right? It's not commendable. It's, it's not something that that's, you could praise God about. So don't think about that. Hallelujah. Now, random thoughts may come to you, but you don't have to dwell on every thought that pops in your head. You can dismiss those thoughts. You can push it out of your mind. Even the most holy saint of God, that would be Pastor Jeppy, I guess. Even the most holy saint of God has had a thought come into his or her mind that his heart resented. But... You don't need to just uh, uh, repent when you should be resisting. You should be pushing that thought out of your mind. You cannot keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can prevent a bird from building a nest in your hair. You cannot determine who may knock on the front door of your house, but you do determine who you open the door to and allow into your home. So you must control your thinking. Now, 
We cannot have good physical health with a poor diet. You know, it's often said you are what you eat. That's why some of you smell like Ochene. <laughs> and you cannot have good mental health with a poor diet of thoughts. Amen? As Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. You become what you continually think on. If you think sad thoughts, you're going to be a sad person. If you think angry thoughts, you're going to be an angry person. If you think greedy thoughts, you're going to become a greedy person. Whatever it is, whatever you think on, that determines who you are. So that means that you and I, we should choose our thoughts carefully. Don't be a lazy thinker. Amen? We should not allow our minds to wander off into dark places. Now, many people say, I'm struggling. I understand. But just like you exercise your muscles and increase strength and stamina, right? You know, maybe the first time I go to the gym, whenever that was, uh, I lift up, you know, you know, 10 kgs and, oh, that, mm, that hurts, that hurts. But if I practice, if I continue to exercise, then, then later on, that's, that's nothing. Maybe even 20 kgs is not a big deal to me. So it may be difficult but you can exercise your mind. You can exercise your mind so that you can more easily dismiss wrong thoughts. And with practice, it will get easier for you. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And the best way to get rid of wrong thoughts is to replace them with good thoughts. It's not in my notes, but Psalm 119, verse 165 says this. Just, just hear it. Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace have those who love your law. We could say great peace have those who love the word. Hallelujah. Amen. So if your mind is stayed on the Lord, hallelujah, amen. If your mind is stayed on the Lord, your soul will magnify the Lord and you'll have perfect peace. Can I get an amen? amen. Dodie Osteen. Dodie Osteen was the wife of the late Pastor John Osteen. Her son, Joel Osteen, pastors the largest church in America. And she was diagnosed with cancer several years ago, many years ago. And she said that when she returned home from the doctor's office, in her words, the cancer seemed so large and God seemed so small. But she determined to meditate and to think upon the word of God. In fact, she wrote scriptures down uh, concerning healing and put them on a note card and posted them all over the walls of her house. So she saw them, you know, whenever room she went in, bathroom, kitchen, she sings scripture verse everywhere. And she continually said what God's word said. And she said that after, I think it took several weeks, it didn't happen overnight, but after several weeks of meditating on the word, pondering and thinking on the word of God, 
She said, then the cancer looked so small and God looked so big. Hallelujah. She was healed of cancer because her soul magnified the Lord. Are you listening to me? She was healed of, of a terrible disease, a life-threatening condition, because her soul magnified the Lord. In a similar thought, uh, Brother Keith Moore uh, uh, led the prayer and healing school in, at Rama uh, uh, in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, for many years. And in the afternoon, they had classes, especially for people who needed healing. And he ministered to people from uh, many different backgrounds, and they had many different medical conditions, some of them quite severe. And he said, I heard him say that, that uh, one woman came to the prayer and healing school, came to the classes, and she had a, a brain cancer, a tumor, malignant tumor in her brain. And, of course, that's just really... Serious, isn't it? And so Brother Keith Moore said he looked to the Lord how to effectively minister to this woman. And he said the Lord spoke to him and said, Brother Keith, what's worse than having cancer on the brain? And he said, I don't know. And the Lord said, having cancer on the mind. In other words, if you want God's help, you must shift your focus away from the problem and to the solution. You must shift your attention away from the disease and to the healer. You must focus your thoughts not on the financial debt, but on your supplier, our God, El Shaddai. Hallelujah. Amen. Let me give you another scripture very similar to that. In Romans chapter 4, verse 19, in the New King James Version, it says, Concerning Abraham... And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body, which was as good as dead. I mean, he's over 100 years old, about 100 years old. And being not weak in faith, he did not consider his own body. He did not consider his own circumstances. The word consider means to fix the mind upon, to reflect upon and think about carefully. So here's the point. You cannot be strong in faith if your mind is fixated on the problem. You ought to write that down because you're going to need to remember that tomorrow. You cannot be strong in faith if your mind is fixated, stuck on the problem. I mean, you may know all kinds of scriptures. Maybe you graduated from Bible school. Maybe you're in the ministry. But if your thoughts are consumed day and night with the challenge that you face, the adversity you're going through, your faith is going to shrivel. You must redirect your thoughts. You must purposely focus on the right thing. Some people know more about the disease than they do God's cure. I prayed for some people, and you, know, and you may ask them, okay, uh, brother, sister, what's wrong? And they say, oh, you know, I have this particular disease. Here's the name of it. And they'll even tell you the medical history. 
when it was discovered and who it's named after and all the kinds of tributes. So evidently, they've been studying this. They probably stay up late at night Googling this. But they don't know anything about God's cure. They don't know anything about the stripes of Jesus. They don't know anything about Galatians 3, 13, and 14. They look blank about that. See, they have been focusing on the problem and not on the answer. And you'll not get healed that way. Not from God, you won't. Amen? I'm not suggesting that you just pretend everything's okay when it's not. I'm suggesting that you make sure you are focused on God's answer. Don't allow the challenge you are facing right now to capture your thought life. Amen? Now, Mark chapter 14 tells us that the disciples, the disciples of the Lord, they were struggling to navigate their boat through a terrible storm. And then Jesus came walking on the water toward them. (laughs) But they didn't shout, oh, glory, hallelujah, so will I. No, they, uh, they were terrified. They screamed out in fear. They said they thought it was a ghost. And Jesus reassured them and said, you know, don't be afraid. It's me. It's I, right? And then inexplicably, meaning like, I can't explain why this happened. Suddenly, Peter blurted out, Lord, if it's you, command me to come on the water to you. (laughs) I don't know. I just imagine every other man in the boat was in shock. What? What? (laughs) And Jesus shockingly said, come. I mean, if I was Jesus, I would have said, stay in the boat. Don't you even think about coming out here. I'm the son of God. You're not. You just stay in the boat. That tells you something about who Jesus is. You know, a lot of people, you know, they wouldn't want to share the limelight with anybody else. No, this is my, come on, Peter. This is my moment. Don't try to, come on, don't try to get on stage with me. (laughs) But he said, come. And, And it strongly suggests like he was happy. And that means, I think if others had said, if John and Andrew had said, how about us? He would have said, come. They could all walk on the water. Praise the Lord. So that means it's not Jesus that's keeping you from a supernatural life. Thank you for your enthusiasm. So Peter got out of the boat. And he walked on the water toward Jesus. Glory. I mean, it's amazing. Now there's two of them out there. But then verse 30 says this. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. So here's the point. As long as Peter kept his eyes on Jesus, he was supernaturally sustained. He was miraculously upheld. He defied the laws of nature. And he did the impossible. Woo, hallelujah. But when his attention was diverted to the threatening circumstances, he began to sink. By the way, 
like y'all uh, students, y'all went to the, uh, the, uh, someone's house yesterday. You know, there's a swimming pool there. If you jump in the pool, you don't begin to sink. Unless you're really buoyant or something. You don't begin to sink. You just, you just go down, right? He was going down. He was, he was beginning to sink. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. If you concentrate on the problem, fear will eclipse your faith. But if you keep your eyes on Jesus and hold on to what he told you, your faith will prevail over fear. But it's up to you because if the devil can distract you, he can defeat you. And he's a master of distraction. Come on, how many people? See, Peter saw Jesus walking on water. He was inspired. He was inspired. It inspired his faith. And that's, that's a good thing when we see the power of God. When we hear the testimonies of others, it encourages us to also believe God. So he was inspired. And kind of like without thinking, he just jumped out there. And then it's like the devil says, hey, look over here. And when he did, ah, suddenly human reasoning took over. I know he's thinking, what am I doing out here? I am crazy. This is crazy. And that's what happens to a lot of people. They get inspired and they just, I'm going to obey God. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then later on, ah, why did I do that? Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus mercifully pulled Peter out of the drink, out of the water. And then he said to him in verse 31, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? In the middle of the miracle, Peter stopped walking by faith and started walking by sight. But walking by sight doesn't work very well when you're walking on water. That's not the time to walk by sight. Hallelujah. And of course, it's totally irrational if the water is calm and the breeze, no breeze at all. You still can't walk on water. It don't make any difference. It has nothing to do with it. It's the word of Christ that upheld him, not the circumstances. God, God didn't lose his power just because it rained this morning. Huh? God, God, God has not diminished his ability just because you got a bad report from the doctor. He's, he's still on the throne. Nothing has changed. Hallelujah. This changes nothing. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. So don't doubt, I should say, doubt undermined his faith. See? To doubt is to wonder, to question, huh. to hesitate, or to become uncertain. And James chapter 1 verse 8 says the one who doubts is a double-minded man. So the cure for doubt, and this is something all Christians have to deal with, the cure for doubt is to be a single-minded person. What does that mean? You never get married? No, what it means is, is that you fix your thoughts on the promise of God. You keep your eyes on Jesus and not allow yourself to be distracted. Hallelujah. Can I get another hallelujah? hallelujah? Oh, you're so kind. Thank you. Chris Everett Lloyd. Chris Everett Lloyd was a champion tennis player from the 1980s. 
And during one uh, important match, uh, she kept bumping into a folding chair that somebody had placed toward the edge of the court. Repeatedly, she kept uh, stumbling or, 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 or knocking into that chair. Well, she went on, I think she went on to win the match. And afterward, newspaper reporters asked her, did that chair hinder you in the game today? And her answer was so classic. She said, what chair? She didn't notice it. She wasn't focused on the furniture. <laughs> wasn't focused on, you know, the little things that are all around her. her she was in the zone. Her eye was on the ball. She, she was completely absorbed in what she was doing. That's the power of focus. Are you listening to me? That's the kind of steely determination you must develop spiritually if you want to get ahead in Christ. If you want to move forward, I mean. Amen? Come on, some people say, Oh, Pastor, I, I tried to read my Bible last night, but... I don't know, there's a chicken like in the next colony all night. Come on, you need to develop steely focus and resolve to push things out of the way. What chicken, you know? I, I tried to pray last night, but there's somebody in the room, the floor above me that's snoring. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. You need to keep your focus on the Lord and push those things out of the way. There will always be a chicken somewhere. There will always be someone snorting or coughing or passing gas. There will always be some distraction. Come on, and if, you, if you're diverted every little distraction, not only will you not get the blessing, you're going to lose your mind. Your greatness is determined by what you're willing to ignore. Just don't ignore me right now. I need you to listen. Huh? Praise the Lord. Romans chapter 8 verse 6. We're talking about peace of mind. Romans 8 6 says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Our mindset determines our direction. Because where the mind goes, the man follows. See, mindset. Think about it. Here's my Bible. I set my Bible on the pulpit. If I go here, it's still there. If I turn my back, it doesn't sneak off the, the pulpit. It's still there. It will stay there until I move it. Set your mind. Set it. Place it. Don't just, don't just visit the pulpit. Set it. Leave it there. Hallelujah. Set your mind on the right things. Hallelujah. Sinful action is preceded by sinful thoughts. But if you set your mind on the things of the Spirit... Your spiritual nature will dominate your carnal nature, and the result will be right living. So really, you know, the, the carnality problem is a mind problem for, for a believer. It's a mind problem. For a sinner, it's a heart problem. For a Christian, it's mostly a mind problem. So you have to mind your mind. Amen? 
Hallelujah. Now, Paul is writing to Christians in this verse. They already have life, eternal life. They already have peace, peace with God. But if we will think on the things of God, if we will set our mind on spiritual things, we will have more life, more peace. We'll have double peace. In other words, yes, I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. Yeah, I got that. But I'm talking about the fact that you're having hell on earth. It's because you're not, you're not being disciplined in your thoughts. You will keep us in perfect peace, double peace, if we keep our thoughts stayed on you. Hallelujah. Nicholas Herman was born in the year 1614 in eastern France. And being from a poor family with not many economic advantages, he decided to join the army in that day where at least he knew he would be fed and he would get a stipend, a small salary. But later he was wounded in a battle which left him permanently impaired for the rest of his life. And in desperation, he turned his heart toward God and he decided, this is of course the 1600s, he decided to become a Roman Catholic monk and he joined a monastery where he was given the assignment of kitchen duty. And Brother Lawrence, which was the name that he received when he joined that order, Brother Lawrence spent the rest of his life in the monastery doing menial tasks. But he lived in such serenity that many people sought him out for advice in their life. After his death, the things that he had said to others, the letters that he had written were compiled into a book entitled The Practice of the Presence of God. And it's considered a Christian classic. And in this book, Brother Lawrence emphasizes being continually mindful of God's presence. So even while he's doing his daily tasks and chores, he's constantly thinking about the Lord. And the book emphasizes having continual small conversations with God throughout the day. In fact, Brother Lawrence said this. It's very interesting. We ought not to be weary of doing little things for the love of God who regards, meaning God, regards not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it is performed. It's interesting. So what he's saying is, even while I scramble an egg, I'm serving God. Even while I sweep this floor, Lord, I'm doing this for you because I love you. And he says, that's what God sees. So that's interesting. Some people imagine that when they're given a great responsibility, then they'll have the right attitude. And, of course, that's never going to happen. Because it begins with small things. He who is faithful in little things is also faithful in much. Now, he also said this. Brother Lawrence said this. We must know before we can love. In other words, we must know someone before we can love them. In order to know God, we must often think of him. 
And when we come to love him, we shall then also think of him often, for our heart will be with our treasure. What he's really saying here is this. Think about yesterday, Saturday. Think about from when you woke up in the morning till you went to sleep at night. How often did you think about the Lord? That determines how much you love him. Not in the church service, because we all, you know, we're, we're all here kind of focused. Now. I'm talking about your ordinary day. How often throughout the week do, you, do your thoughts return to the Lord? See, your silence betrays the fact that this message is right on target. He's saying if you really love someone, you'll think about them. Now, we see that. Maybe a young man meets a young woman. Not until you graduate, of course. But one young man meets a young woman, and, you know, that's all he can think about. You know, you talk to him, but he's somewhere else, you know. You can just tell. You're just thinking. Because if you really love someone, you think about that person always. See, when I was first married, long, long time ago, when I would come home from, from the office, you know, after working for, you know, whatever, six, seven, eight hours, my wife would say, did you think about me today? And being the typical man, I was like, well, I'm thinking about you now. <laughs> when I get hungry, I think about you. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. So that, but my point here is, that before I, I, I will need a ride home after this service is over. <laughs> my point is that, that if you never really think about Jesus, then you don't really love him as much as you claim to. And if you think about him more, you'll love him more. And God has given you lots of time to think. Oh, I get stuck in traffic. Well, there you go. This is my time to think about the Lord. <laughs> Maybe that would help us all. We would reach our destination with joy without losing our sanctification in the process. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Right. You're waiting in the queue, you know, at the, at the shopping center, whatever. Or you're waiting at the restaurant. I ordered an hour ago. Look, my clothes are going out of style. Well, you have time to think now. Think about the goodness of God. You and I can do that. Hallelujah. And he went on to say this. Brother Lawrence said, there is no greater lifestyle and no greater happiness than that of, continue, of having a continual conversation with God. See, here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is a very Naga thing. We have prayer meetings. God wants us to have a prayer life. And sometimes with some people, they only pray in a group. And it kind of becomes a quasi-social event. But if you're really a person of prayer... There's an ongoing conversation with you and the Father throughout the day. 
Prayer is not making a speech with your eyes closed. It's having a conversation with your father. I mean, there are times when you lead others in prayer. Maybe you're praying with the group. But if, if, that, if you only pray when you're in a group, then you're not really a prayer. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, I'm going to finish right now. Two verses. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Notice verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Okay, so in life, we are all pursuing something. You were born and you came out of your mother's womb grasping for something. And you've been grasping ever since. And we pursue what we value. What's most important to you? Well, it's real simple. What are you chasing after? I mean, let's be honest. Some people, it's just money. Money, money, money. I told you I was with a a Christian friend of mine years ago, and his cell phone rang. And his ringtone was a song. Money, money, money. Money, 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 money. Okay, but it, it kind of makes you think like, is that all this guy thinks about? It just money all the time? Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, I think we should think about other things too, you know. And by the way, spiritual things are more important than natural things. Yes, you all said amen. That's the correct answer. Let me go ahead and tick that box. But it's proven by what you're chasing after. Hallelujah. So how do we seek the things that are above? All right, let's read the next verse. Verse 2. Set your mind. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Set your mind. It's a mindset. What does that mean? Does that mean that we should live our life completely detached from the natural world around us? We walk around like a zombie, you know, not in contact with anything. (laughs) That's not being spiritual. That's being weird. The Apostle Paul was a very practical person. Amen? He didn't live that way. No, it means that we should not spend our entire life being absorbed with trivial matters, which in eternity won't matter at all. I know we have to deal with things like Brother Lawrence did, but keep the right perspective. Give your, your greater attention to the things that matter most in your life, not the things that really don't matter at all in the long run. Hallelujah. Now, I've often heard it said, I've often heard it said, well... He's so heavenly-minded, he's no earthly good. May I tell you, in my life, I have met many people who were no earthly good, and none of them were (laughs) heavenly-minded. I said none of them were heavenly-minded. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Would you stand with me to your feet right now?